Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the comedy politics podcast that has been getting the R down from the beginning, if R stands for ratings. I'm Tiernan Duyeb and this week I think you'll find the Prime Minister and dog-chewed horse chestnut Boris Johnson has been very, very clear and anyone who doesn't understand his message clearly has a radical political agenda of wanting to stay alive. On Sunday night, Johnson gave a speech to the nation setting out just what the country needs to do next, in a message so garbled and vague that it can only have been a genius plan to make sure we all stay indoors for weeks to come, trying to decode it. There is a new five-tier coronavirus alert system, with five meaning everyone's died, four being about when the Prime Minister finds another fridge to hide in, all the way down to one, where we pretend none of this happened and the Conservatives unveil their new campaign slogan of spreading change across Britain without any sense of awareness at all. We're currently hovering at around 3.5, which, if that was a review for an Edinburgh Fringe show, would just mean that they wanted to say four, but were too embarrassed as it would admit defeat. How is this new system worked out? Well, it's to do with the rate of infections plus the number of infections, meaning that really we should be far off the chart with someone having to put a ladder on top of the slideshow waving a hook to pull it down a notch. With this new simplified colour scale of the kind that will clearly become a morbid toddler's toy in the post-pandemic future, there is a new slogan. Gone is stay at home, as apparently that was deemed too effective in making people stay at home and not die. What they were obviously hoping for was that by saying stay at home repeatedly, people might realise that that's an anagram for ahoy stomata and spend their days wandering outside yelling at plant life. Sadly, the stupid, stupid British public did mostly stay at home, apart from various offshoots who on VE Day insisted on celebrating the fallen by trying their best to give them some company in the afterlife. There were socially distanced street parties, which, to be honest, based on my limited experience, sounds like the only way I'd ever take part in one, and even a conga line where hundreds of people formed a queue to dance into hell. Ironic, really, as if they should all catch COVID-19, so few would be allowed to attend their funeral, they'd barely form a queue to dance on their graves. Who knew that VE stood for viral exposure? So, with the slogan stay at home gone, we now have stay alert. As Johnson says, taking steps to normality requires a finer, more complicated message, so he's picked one that's completely threadbare and requires some sort of incredible code breaking to work out exactly what it means. Stay alert. Yes, that is the new message from the government who haven't had the wherewithal to even quarantine people at airports till the end of this month, making it seem less like keeping people with Covid symptoms out and more protecting tourists from the hotbed of viral rampage that they're heading into. Stay alert from people who have been constantly at least two to three weeks behind the rest of the world. It feels a bit like if hate bucket Katie Hopkins had started the be kind hashtag. What exactly does stay alert mean? Well, no one really knows. 
according to Boris Johnson, who'd combed his hair for the speech, meaning either he thought it was important or it was so pointless it wasn't worth the effort of messing it all up. It means that people who can't work from home should be encouraged to go back to work, making it sound like it's up to the rest of their families to stand there shouting, Steve, please stop building a scaffold in the kitchen. I can't get to the cupboards. Encouraging someone to go to work in the middle of a pandemic is like goading your school friend to play on the train tracks seconds after the 714 from Southend has just decapitated gullible Billy right in front of you. Be encouraged isn't go to work, it's more the suggestion that you can work, which is enough for industries to demand that staff work, as it might be safe now. It's the coward's way of putting the responsibility into someone else's hands, making me certain that if Johnson ever needed to fire someone, he'd mumble something about how they could stop working if they wanted to, and hope that they'd go around saying they quit, because it was all their idea. So, if you can work, you should, but if you can't work, then you shouldn't. But if you can, don't take public transport, even if that's the only way to get there, and instead find alternative methods like driving, cycling, hopping, grabbing the legs of a passing bird, teleporting, or maybe having a lucid dream about sitting at your desk during a daytime nap. Transport Minister and Denundation Personified Grant Shapps warned over the weekend that transport cannot return to where it started, meaning that once you've gone somewhere, you'll never ever be able to get the bus home. People must go back to work, though, because otherwise the economy will die. You know, in a way, it definitely hasn't already died and wouldn't die even more if everyone that contributes to it died from working during a pandemic. What if people don't work, though, and then, as warned by Chancellor and star of Pixar's Ratatouille, yes, both the rat and the chef, Rishi Sunak, they became addicted to furloughing. Yeah, forget hard drugs or alcohol. It seems the latest craze is wanting to be able to pay your bills and eat, while government incompetence means a virus has more freedom of movement than the Schengen area. What do you do with addicts? Well, that's right. If you're the Conservatives, you remove funding from all support institutions while your ministers boast about how much coke they snort. And similarly, Sunak says he's planning to wean people off furloughing, meaning maybe he'll reduce payments until they're able to pay for food using willpower or a support buddy. Or perhaps he'll replace furloughing with a less addictive alternative, like being forced to go to the job you don't have because it can't exist right now. Addictions to living must be stopped and you have to be encouraged to go back to work, despite a complete lack of safety guidance on how best to do that. What if my colleague is coughing and talking in a weird voice and saying, I am the corona spawn, you must be assimilated. Just get on with your job, pal, and stop complaining, yeah, because the economy and that. Can I see my friends and family? No, it's too dangerous, so you'll just have to carry on mingling with work colleagues until you leave the office, and then any of them you might want to be remotely friendly with has to stand across the road. Oh, and maybe you can see one of your parents, you know, the favourite one. No, not that one, the other one. If you see them in a park and stand two metres away while you yell to ask them how your grandparents are, but they tell you they don't know as they could only see one of them and the grass was being cut at the time so they didn't hear anything that was said. Make sure it's a park, not a garden, mind, as you can't meet friends and family in a garden. What if the park has a flower garden? What if someone's parked in your garden? Doesn't the Queen own several royal parks? Does that make them her gardens or can she meet someone there? Is childcare allowed? No, but we encourage you to go back to work, so why not just take your kids with you? I mean, it's safe as long as they aren't seeing any friends or family while with you on the construction site. Schools should be reopening in June, but only for certain pupils, presumably the ones who didn't tidy their room when told and will now be punished for it in the most severe manner ever. You can do as much exercise as you like outside now, and you can even drive anywhere you like to do it, which is great as I fancy a lovely stroll in Muscat. You can play tennis and golf or any sports posh people like, so chances are it's fine to also shoot a grouse or chase a homeless person into the road while you're on horseback. Just make sure you don't cough on them. What if you live somewhere with no garden, can't get to work without public transport, have kids, you can't cycle and you don't belong to a golf club? Well then, you just have to stay alert that you are the sort of person the government doesn't like, you're probably addicted to not being dead, and if you really cared about the country, you'd try harder to shush and go away. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that was pretty much what the Prime Minister said in a speech that was for some reason pre-recorded. Which is odd when it sounded like it was a poorly improvised just-a-minute rant where he had to say anything except any sort of plan, so you wonder why he couldn't have done it live. Though, maybe they had to CGI in a backdrop so it made it look like he'd actually turned up to work for once. Or maybe it was so they could edit out every time one of the film crew said, what the fuck is this, out loud. 
Apparently, though, the message was clear, according to many Conservative ministers, who've then proceeded to get very confused about what the actual message is. Foreign Secretary and the world's most intense outie, Dominic Raab, said you can meet two relatives in the park, even though the guidelines say no more than two people can meet. Maybe if you're all standing two metres apart in a line, it's hard to know who's with who, and technically you're only yelling at one person who's passing it on to the other, which in my experience can be the best way to talk to siblings. Rob said you should use common sense to see loved ones outdoors, which means he'll be unable to see any of his for quite some time. If you ask MP and cauliflower ear but his hold face, Andrew Brigden, he seems to think that as long as you maintain social distancing, you can meet whoever you like. But he's someone who people naturally avoid, so chances are he's just unaware that anything's happened. Rob also said everyone could be encouraged to return to work from Wednesday, even though Johnson's speech was on Sunday and seems to suggest that Monday would be fine. But maybe that's just how Johnson works, or rather doesn't, where he says that he'll be at his job on Monday, and that probably means it won't be till at least Wednesday, and that'll just be a video call from his holiday home. According to Housing Minister and Brick Souffle, Robert Jenrick, stay alert means stay home. But then, why not just use the stay home message? And which of Jenrick's homes will he stay alert in? Are there some he'll just be vaguely aware in? And does that mean he'll continue to be absolutely clueless at work? The government released a 50-page lockdown strategy called Our Plan to Rebuild, like a child might call their Lego project, which Johnson then announced in the House of Commons. It was actually Johnson's first statement in the Commons on coronavirus and his second on anything at all this year so far, but you can't really blame him as to be fair, he's been very, very busy avoiding doing all of those things. One policy that was not included in his initial speech was advice that you should wear a face covering in an enclosed space where social distancing isn't possible. Something that he announced inside Parliament with all the other MPs in it where no one was wearing face masks. To be fair though, it would have been confusing for Johnson if they had been as he'd just have thought the place was full of letterboxes. Though I have to say, I'm quite excited about being able to go to the bank while wearing a mask. Again. Meanwhile, Labour leader and part air conditioning unit Keir Starmer delivered a national statement with all the gusto of an AI test bot reading the small print from a Hoover manual you've never looked at. He said that we need a better future to look forward to and that the coronavirus roadmap needs clear direction, even though he shouldn't be using it unless it's to go somewhere for essential exercise. There has been praise for the way in which Starmer asked Johnson questions after his address in the Commons, because he said them, you know, in full sentences while sounding posh. But so far, Labour's main alternative policy announcements are to agree with Rishi Sunak that furloughing can't go on indefinitely, and maybe there should be a category of semi-furloughed people who can't work yet. And to ask that landlords are unable to evict renters for a further three months, rather than, you know, improve tenants' rights or have a rent break which would actually help. It's very clear the party's plan is to bring back all those Lib Dem voters who'd enjoyed dealing with a problem by looking past the solution until they can see the problem again but blurry and so it doesn't seem as bad. The UK's death toll from coronavirus is now the highest in Europe. Yeah, see, who needs the EU? We can top the polls all by our sovereign self. Dominic Raab still insists we shouldn't compare global stats as Britain is better at counting than other places. So says a man who can't work out the difference between one or two relatives in the park. All 400,000 PPE gowns ordered from Turkey have failed to conform to UK standards, but at least now the NHS staff can seem even more like superheroes, you know, wearing capes that are utterly unnecessary for what they do. One of the scientific advisers who advised on lockdown rules and Christopher Eccleston role, Professor Neil Ferguson, resigned from his position after it was revealed that a woman he was having an affair with visited his home during lockdown. To be fair to Ferguson, he didn't leave his home, the woman he was seeing did. So really it was her fault for not being clever enough to carry an Amazon package with her while she did it, or for not dressing up as Robert Jenrick and just saying she was heading to one of her many properties. Health Secretary and sorry insult Matt Hancock was criticised after he told Labour MP, working doctor and early dropout apprentice candidate Rosina Allen Khan to watch her tone after she asked him to commit to a minimum of 100,000 tests a day. Many said Hancock was being misogynistic and rude, but it's actually because he's part rodent and can only hear things if they're in a reasonably high pitch. The government haven't reached their testing target of 100,000 since April 31st, which is handy as the Prime Minister has now said it will go up to 200,000 a day, though likely that just means there'll be one day where they post out 199,999 notes saying I owe you a test and say that that counts. 
All of this is just in England, of course, as the Welsh, Scottish and Northern Irish governments have all decided just to keep the stay-at-home message instead, knowing full well that if people in those countries leave theirs, they could not only get the virus, but an English person might also try to colonise it. For those of you, like me, living in the hub of exceptionalism that is England, you just have to stay alert. And how you do that is up to you. I mean, maybe you just keep turning 180 degrees with a little jump every few minutes while shouting hi-ya and doing a karate chop and a big kick. Or maybe you could repeatedly dunk your face into cold water and change your smoke alarm so it goes off when you breathe. Or maybe you could stay alert by dressing as a meerkat and replacing your blood with caffeine and amphetamines. There are guidelines on the government website of how to make your own cloth face mask using a t-shirt because they know you can't afford to buy one and they won't help you do it. If they really wanted to be of use, it should be followed up with a guide of how to make fire, hunt for food, bury your friends, make a Molotov cocktail and start a revolution. It'll be fine though, because as Rob says, you just have to use common sense. And as Johnson says, the British are an ingenious bunch and will work it out. Which roughly translated means, you do it, we're doing a great job, so you do it, you fix things, and if it goes wrong, it's not our fault. Whatever you do, don't get so alert that you notice all those fucking massive gaping holes in the government's plan. That's a little too much staying alert. Okay. In other news, the missing link between pond scum and the way you wretch if someone else wretches, Nigel Farage, got told off by police for breaking lockdown rules and travelling all the way to Dover to report on illegal migrants. Farage there, getting angry about illegal migrants, even though he's just left his home to travel for work, regardless of laws. I look forward to Farage campaigning against himself at some point soon. And lastly, Funny Bones character Rory Stewart has quit the London mayoral race in order to spend less time with random families. Hello, hello. How are you all doing? I am trying to work out if, uh, because I can't work from home, I should go to work. Um, I mean, like comedy clubs, knowing full well the audiences won't be allowed to turn up, uh, because really, that'll make a lot of gigs better and easier. I hope you're faring okay with the news of three more weeks of lockdown. I mean, it was expected, innit? You know, uh, it's funny though, isn't it? The very logical part of me says, yes, I don't want this virus to spread and more people to die, or even just me to have a horrible cough. No, thank you. I will happily stay at home. The whole other part of my brain says, it is wholly unfair that I can't just dump my daughter at her grandparents for even an hour so I can sit down for a minute. Honestly, the country can burn. I do get it. I do get it. One thing I've been very much enjoying about the lockdown uh, this week is getting deliveries of things. Um, Because like previous to the pandemic, I only really got letters that were about renewing your car tax or an electricity bill. um, Or, you know, some charity thanking me for the support that I've never given them, which was odd. Um, But now, today, for example, a man delivered some cheese. Uh, I mean, there were other bits there, obviously groceries and stuff, but there was cheese. I've always wanted cheese dropped off at my home, and now it can happen. That is a beautiful thing. Um... Our local supermarket at any point in the day has queues going round and round the block. They're social distancing, but in a way that means that the queue blocks the pavement and then people have to walk along and go past it by being very close to them. And then the whole thing becomes really pointless. Um, There's a lot of that in our area, you know, where people are trying, but not very well. They haven't really thought it through. So on Saturday, for example, we moved right out of the way of an elderly couple and they then turned and walked right up to us to say thanks idiots um but yeah the supermarket is impossible so we found a local place that does things like uh drops cheese round and groceries and there's another one that does bread and i know this isn't a new thing and you know i've never really done online shopping before as i always forget stuff and then they always do that thing when they turn up and go oh we haven't got any potatoes so instead we brought you this old pirate's boot that washed up on shore last week and they're really hard to cook so never really did it anyway All I'm saying, more cheese delivered, please. Maybe just some slices through the letterbox. That would do me. Plus bread, buy the slice through the letterbox as well. In fact, if anything, you could do a slice of bread, then a slice of cheese, and then another slice of bread. Instant sandwich. I guess that would just make spam mail really, really bad. Um... What am I talking about? No one ever knows. Um, I'm very glad you're here, even if you're not. And I don't know how you have the time to listen to this. How have you got it? I don't have time for podcasts at all anymore. I always listen to podcasts normally while travelling, and I'm I'm not going anywhere. Um, Or if I do, it's with the squidge, uh, as we often call my daughter slash agent. And apparently it's not good parenting to never listen to your kid because you have your headphones on chortling to Adam Buxton, so not allowed to do it. Oh, well. Um, But I'm obviously very pleased that you have time for this and you somehow fit this in. And special thanks 
thanks this week to Annie, Helen, James, Claire and Steph, who have very, very kindly donated to the Kofi account, which has kindly uh, gone towards cheese this week, probably, and bread and some vegetables. And don't get me wrong as well, it wasn't like some fancy cheese. I haven't just like thrown the little money I have towards some fancy cheese. I don't have a job, remember? I just need a lot of cheese in order to get through. It's very important. So if you can help with my cheese needs, it's, it's important because I'm a mature kind of guy. Yeah, I went there. Yeah, I went there. Ah, you can and bear it. Anyway, um, all I'm saying is if you can help with those cheese needs or, you know, just me staying alive, then please do throw a few quid to um, Kofi, ko-fi.com forward slash parpolbro, where you can do a single um, or if you enjoy this show more than once, a monthly rolling payment. Yeah, check that out. A couple of people give me three pounds a month and you are gods of the earth um of course if you can't do that uh you can also join the patreon.com forward slash parpolbro which will hopefully be more worth doing soon apparently you can do pounds soon they keep saying it but it hasn't happened um and look if you can't do any of that that's also trey cool because this show is free and it is meant to be free and if you instead fancy just giving this show a nice five star review on apple podcast stitcher Castbox, or any of those if only uh, to change the emails that I often get sent from mypodcastreviews.com or something like that. I can't even remember what the website's called. But every now and then they send me an email going, you've had no new reviews this week. It's so brutal. Instagram does that as well. I don't know if you had those posts, those little messages that Instagram sends you just saying, no one has liked this post. All right, mate, don't rub it in. Jesus. Um, not much else to say this week. Uh, I'm going to be on Al Kennedy's excellent Desert Island Discworld podcast at some point, uh, talking about the Terry Pratchett book Mort. Um, and I am a really crap Pratchett fan. Uh, I don't, I haven't read enough. I like him. I'm not, I'm not anti Pratchett. I very much like Pratchett stuff, but I didn't really read enough of it. Um, but Mort is one that I read loads, so I actually can talk about it with some vague knowledge. Um, I'm also going to be on Five Lives Wake Up to Money on Friday morning at the crack of dawn. It's a a 5am start, um, which I'm quite excited about because I think I I can't really do that in my flat without waking someone up. So I might have to sit in my car. It'll almost feel like I've got a job again. Um, Anyway, I'm going to be talking about how the comedy industry has changed to adapt or not to the pandemic. Um, Should you be up that early? I think it'll be on iPlayer and all that as well. But what's the point in that? Um, And that's it, really. I'm mainly just waiting to see if I get any self-employment allowance this month and if it'll be enough to buy some cheese with or if I'm going to have to fight with some mice for some so uh, fingers crossed for the uh, employment allowances I will get battered by those squeaky bastards um, on this week's show there's no more weird cheese content I promise and instead there's a chat with excellent futurist Tom Cheesewright oh no more cheese content I lied uh, except he's not a cheese he's just got cheese in his name he's actually a very clever and very lovely man who I had a very enjoyable chat with indeed um, also a little breakdown of just what the new lockdown rules are though if you live in Wales Scotland or Northern Ireland you can skip that bit or listen to it and laugh heartily as you imagine one day taking a trip to the English wastelands where people used to live. A few months ago, if you'd asked a number of people what they thought the future would look like, they'd probably have said, oh, there'll be flying cars and robots and living on Mars and the government still won't have released that report into Russian interference in the election. But now... In the midst of this pandemic, it's looking more like the future will just be shouting at your mum across the park, telling your grandkids what flower and aeroplanes were, fashioning face mask chic and occasionally wondering why the report into Russian interference in the election still isn't out. It's fair to say that the now isn't how we planned it. I mean, the film Edge of Tomorrow is set in 2020, and if they'd had proper foresight, the whole movie would have just had aliens walking around Earth wondering where everyone's gone, while Tom Cruise sits in his pants playing Animal Crossing and making sourdough starters. But looking beyond all of this is necessary, not just for the mental health benefits of realising that one day you'll be able to push people out of the way at the supermarket again, because no, you don't have to check every egg you twat. But also in order to figure out what we do next, how we work, live, survive, and just when can we make someone else deal with our kids? How on earth do you begin to work out what is next when it seems very unclear what will happen in the next five minutes, let alone, when hearing anything the Prime Minister says, what on earth is happening now? How can you future-proof anything when there's very little proof of a future for anyone other than germs and people who thrive at being antisocial? And just when will that report into Russian interference in the election actually come out? This week, I spoke to the brilliant Tom Cheesewright, who is an applied futurist. It is Tom's job to advise businesses and, well, everyone on just what might happen next. How to deal with it and somehow, despite everything, be optimistic about the future. Amazingly, even in the midst of a biological shitstorm where people are conga dancing themselves to death and a leadership meltdown, Tom still has the ability to see beyond all of that and advise on just how we'll be all right eventually. Sort of. 
Talking to Tom was a very positive breath of fresh air and I asked him all about what could happen next, how you might future-proof a business now, how society is going to cope and why you shouldn't trust any sort of Matt Hancock app. It was a lot of fun speaking to him, so I hope you enjoy. Here is Tom. Hi, Tom. Uh, thanks so much uh, for speaking with me today um, on a very, very sunny day when I'm in a very small room that I haven't, I haven't planned this very well. Uh, it's very warm in here. <laughs> I hope you're, how are you doing? Are you coping all all right? I'm, I'm underground, so I've done even worse than you. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm hidden away from the sunlight. Uh, but no, very good. We're, we're coping very well. Feeling quite lucky, to be honest, having sort of the, uh, the space enough to be close together when we want to be, but also get you know, some distance from each other if needs be. Uh, so that's so very necessary. I'm quite jealous of that second bit. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. Um, so I think it's probably, probably the first question I should ask you. Really, most important one is um, just what is an applied futurist? Can you explain what that is? I know I know what futurist means. I know what the word applied means. Together slightly more hazy for me <laughs> i guess when people think about a futurist or a futurologist they think of somebody doing all this sort of blue sky thinking about you know jetpacks and microchips in your brain and all these sort of sci-fi future possibilities and while i love all that i'm a total nerd actually it's <laughs> not what i spend most of my time doing and what happens is companies come to me and they say you know what's going to take us out at the knees in the next five years what should we be aware of what are the massive opportunities that we can take advantage of in the near future not you know am i going to have a hoverboard in 20 years and so i get involved in answering those questions as well as the more long-term fun stuff and also helping them answer the question and this is the really applied bit what on earth do we do about it uh, and so a lot of my work is actually quite practical um, for someone with the job title futurist it's look these trends are coming and we've got to make these changes to your organization or who you employ or what skills they have or how you structure the business to respond Respond to all those things. So, uh, considering that you advise businesses on what might take them out of the knees, I'm assuming now is one of those times where not <laughs> are. I don't know if you did you predict this. I, I hope you didn't. In a way, that'd be quite creepy <laughs> if you managed to. No, do you know what? There, there's a line in the, in my latest book which does talk about this this thing that the World Health Organization were researching called uh, Disease X or Pandemic X, where they were sort of in the early phases of thinking about something like this. But no, I didn't predict this. Um, I didn't say you know, and you know, I'm not. I'm not sadly a soothsayer, in which case I might be able to do the uh, lottery numbers as well, which everybody always asks, always asks before. Yeah, um, I mean, but, uh, I was going to queue up for that one. It, had, <laughs> had you given a different answer, I would have asked. Um, so considering the state of things, uh, you know, what... I mean, how how are you sort of viewing the world? I mean, we, you know, speaking to you on the day before, we don't know what the when the lockdown's being lifted. We're hearing in a few days from now. So by the time this goes out, everything could be completely different. But how, how are you viewing the world after this? Are, are you seeing it as much of the same before we were just going to go back to how things were or, or, or things can be vastly uh, different I think you've really got to answer that question in two different dimensions. And one of them is behavioural and one of them is structural. So our human behaviour has evolved over millions of years and five weeks of isolation isn't going to shift it that dramatically. You know, sure, there's going to be some caution. You know, people, some people are going to be more cautious than others. We're going to make a few tweaks to our behaviour. But fundamentally, I'm expecting us to snap back to what we were doing before. In fact, even we might go a little bit beyond. You might see people going a little bit worse a little bit wah in terms of you know going on a few too many tinder dates drinking a bit too much maybe splashing some cheap consumer credit on a new car or a distant holiday all because we're just so glad to be out of the house after a time but then you've got your sort of structural stuff and there will be some enforced structural changes. And you mentioned businesses there. You know, I've been doing a lot of, sort of live streams with uh, small and large businesses over the last week. And there are some people really, really struggling or frankly, as we know from the news, have already gone bump. That's an enforced change. Those businesses probably aren't coming back anytime soon. And likewise, there's going to be new legislation. You're going to have your know, health and safety departments in companies being a little bit more cautious. You might see some, you know, some cardboard or perspex screens going up between the, de the uh, desks in your open plan office all those sorts of things so you'll get i think most part behavior is going to shift back to what it was before if not go a little bit further the other way but there'll definitely be some enforced structural changes so now um i read an interview with you very recently that you did uh, about your book and you uh, mentioned in it um about how a lot of the changes that have kind of been forced through with this pandemic were ones that were already in motion so the idea of people say working from home um or, or something like that and, and i wondered is that 
is that, you know, is there an optimistic way to look at that, that maybe some of the changes that needed to happen have suddenly happened? Or is the fact that we were unprepared for this, does it kind of negate any positivity that's come from that? You know, I, I like to be an optimist. And, you know, I told you I was a nerd and now I'm going to quote Tony Stark and prove it. But, you know, <laughs> uh, in one of the comics, he says I'm an optimist because pessimists never, you know, optimists change the world because pessimists never even try. And, you know, it's it's you've got to be optimistic about this and say, look, lots of people have got all these great intentions about post lockdown, whether it's about how they work or how they live or how they exercise. But then you've also got to say, yeah, there's a lot of things that aren't going to change so easily. So take that flexible working thing. I think lots of people have experienced flexible working for the first time. They, some have really fallen in love with it. Some haven't, I have to say. I did a deeply unscientific Twitter poll and about 40% of people said, you know what? I can't wait to get back to the office and out of my house house. But for that 60% it said, you know what, I quite like this. I do quite like flexible working. You can do the technology, right? The technology is easy. We've demonstrated that. I mean, my kid's dance teacher went from teaching in a scout hut to teaching via Zoom in the space of a week. You know, that bit's pretty straightforward. What's not so straightforward is getting the culture right. And you can't do all this nice, flexible working, working from home stuff really well unless you get the culture right, unless you start trusting people and knowing that, you know, we're not they're not on Slack, when they're not on that Zoom call with everybody talking over each other, that they're not just sat on the sofa in their pants watching Netflix. You know, you've got to go, do you know what? It doesn't matter if they're sat on the sofa in their pants watching Netflix, as long as they deliver the stuff I'm expecting from them. And that's a really big cultural shift for a lot of organisations, and actually for a lot of individuals as well. I mean, it took me probably 12 years working for myself before I stopped beating myself up about the fact that I, if I wasn't at my desk by seven o'clock in the morning and, you know, leaving it before six o'clock in the evening it's a really big cultural shift both the individuals and for the business it's, it's really hard I, i've uh, you know as, as a comedian i've been sort of working from home and then not depends obviously gigs weren't at home <laughs> during the day at home, <laughs> and it took quite a long time yeah to go some days i'm you know up the crack door and i'm writing and writing and other days it's not happening and i'll do some admin and, and it's as long as it balances out you sort of get there but it, it, it took a it takes sort of self-discipline uh, i think to really work out how you work best I think if you if you spend any time working for a company or if you've ever had that sort of you know Protestant work ethic drilled into you at school or as a child to to break that cycle to forgive yourself for not working all the hours because we have that real presenteeism hard work culture in this country we're not actually very productive but we think we ought to be trying hard all the time we ought to be at our desks banging our emails and even if we're not really getting anything done we sort of force ourselves to sit at the desk and stare at the screen even if you know for 30 minutes every hour actually on facebook and 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 that's really unhealthy and and it takes time to change that like i say it took me 12 years to break that cycle Uh, and I, i think a lot of people you know, are going to take a long time to get out of that habit without the encouragement and support of their employer and actually a general culture shift in the country. And those things take time. And, and I guess there's going to be businesses that, that people still can't work from home. Um, is that, you know, are, are things going to change in, in how those jobs work? Are there, are, there, are there industries that maybe we're expected to see change completely or, or maybe not survive this? Well, it comes back to what you're saying. I think it's it's about trends accelerating. So, so lots of those industries where you can't work from home. So, you know, logistics, uh, retail customer service, um, you know, care. Um, you know, all of those manufacturing, you know, all of those are starting to see more computerization, more automation. It was all happening pre-COVID. And now everybody's looking at this and going, do you know what? Actually, I really ought to make my warehouse, you know, powered by robots a little bit faster in case this comes around again. And I can't, you know, provide safe distance for my people in the in the, in the warehouse, but I still want to keep things up and running because everybody's ordering loads of parcels from home because they're bored and spending all their time on eBay. Um, so, you know, there's, I think it's it's accelerating trends like that. There are some things you can't do without being present. And in many ways, I think what's really interesting is that the more stuff is automated and remote, the more we value actually that that human component, like the more time we spend interacting with a machine, the more value we put on actually a face-to-face interaction. And while we may be a little bit cautious about shaking hands, there's something really pleasurable about having that sort of face-to-face interaction, whether it's someone at the bank putting their arm around your shoulder and saying, yeah, we can help you get a mortgage, or whether it's you know actually a care assistant coming into the house rather than you know, dialing into your telly to check on you. you know, I think we really 
put a higher value on the on those human aspects when more and more of our stuff is remote and digital there's something quite nice about that i, I sort of like the idea that that you know all the more automated jobs and the the database jobs and stuff go to robots and actually we get to be humans in our in our work a bit more <laughs> that we you don't have to do all the boring excel spreadsheets maybe you could be the person that just has a chat with people and makes them yeah them. i mean the, you know, the, the the pessimist in me suddenly goes well yeah that potentially does just mean there's fewer jobs overall but each of those jobs is an awful lot more fun yeah you know, the, the best analogy for this i think the best sort of comparison from our consumer lives is in music you, you look at what happened in the music industry when streaming came along it kind of changed the way we consume music it all became a bit ephemeral it's a little bit in the background i'll just stick a playlist of a few tunes on rather than sitting down and listening to an album and so you know while all our most of our interactions 80 percent of our interactions with music became a little bit less engaging a little bit less of visceral the flip side to that is we started spending much more money on seeing live artists we started spending money on vinyl again where you get that really tactile interaction with the album and the music and so you get this sort of 80 20 rule you know the 80 percent of our interactions might be really automated and robotic and remote and mediated by a screen but we put an awful lot more value on that 20 percent, where it really is human to human um now i wanted to ask you mentioned your book earlier which uh called future proof your business which came out uh just in april didn't it um and i presume that was written pre-pandemic <laughs> um, I, I mean I, you know i don't want you to give anything away because i think listeners should go and get it obviously but um has your advice had to change are you going to have to do an updated edition no, it's really interesting. So the book wasn't meant to come out at all until July. It was scheduled for release in July, and the paperback version is still coming out in July. But about, uh, what was it, about three, two, three weeks ago now, uh, and I remember it was a Thursday afternoon, I got a phone call from my publisher, Penguin, and they said, look, we, you know, we think your book's really relevant to what's happening right now. We'd like to bring the publishing forward and get it out on Kindle as soon as we can. And I said, that's great. You know, when are you thinking of launching? And they said, Tuesday. I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's not very much time for me to think about how we launched this um but we did you know we pulled this launch together very quickly and got it out there but they're, they're absolutely right you know the the i went back and i looked back through the book and you know the advice i give albeit it, it was really designed for the situation that my clients are most often facing you know my client my clients have never rung me up saying we're facing a global pandemic before more typically they ring me up and say look we feel a bit unsteady on our feet like we feel like our industry is changing faster than we used to we feel like the world's changing faster than we we're used to and we, we feel you know uh, unbalanced uh, and my, my, I wrote my first book um, a couple of years back called High Frequency Change, trying to explain that sense. Because there's there's lots of people talking about how the world's spinning fast now, about how everything changes faster now. Uh, and it's just not true, right? I'm sat here in a 140-year-old house, um, you know, where, and lots of stuff around me has never changed. I'm pretty sure, you know, you would have slept in a bed last night. You know, we still use toilets that were invented 400 years ago, unless you've got one of those flashy things that dries your bum. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, most things don't change faster. But they get these sort of high frequency waves of change that are blasting through so many of our industries and causing massive disruption. And we've seen that on the high street. You know, we've seen that with e-commerce. We saw it in music industry. I was tracking quite closely at the time because I was quite involved in that sort of 15, 20 years ago. Um, and you know, more recently, we've seen it in banking. We're seeing it in the automotive industry with the shift to electric vehicles and lots of the manufacturers struggling to keep up. And so, my, you know, the, the book's really about how you face those high frequency changes. But I look at the advice that I give in it about how you look to the future, how you accelerate decision making, make decisions faster, how you build a business that's more like a box of Lego bricks rather than a sort of perfectly diecast monolith that's perfectly optimized for the business you're in. You know, and all of those things, all the advice in those is entirely relevant to a global pandemic, just as it is to these individual industry by industry disruptions that lots of the services we use have been facing i'm very glad to hear it i'm very glad to hear it. that's um that's, <laughs> <laughs> i just i just slightly felt for you i was like oh no that must be awkward and it comes out but i mean obviously i knew this is <laughs> this is what a futurist does you know how to future proof your own uh your own work otherwise <laughs> that or i'm just really good at spinning it one or the well, other <laughs> one, one or the other i'm very impressed um it's it was interesting you're saying about things not accelerating i suppose it is is one of the major changes then that um you know that we're expected to work all the time. Like for a long time now, people have been on call all night. Emails come in all times a day, and people responded to. You know, you're expected to respond on twelve different mediums and and be on every different social media platform. And and you know, uh, 
that that felt like quite a major change to me, where suddenly the world became sleepless in in a way. And and yeah. I guess now we're we're kind of having an enforced break. That's got to be a a nice thing, hasn't it? I don't know that everybody's having an enforced break. In some ways, it's got worse. And it comes back to this lack of culture shift that I talk about. You know, say you're a middle manager. You know, you've got a team of, you know, you're used to managing a team of 7, 10, 14 people. And you're used to having them on a bunch of desks sat around you. And you just by being sat in the same room as them, you've got a sort of sixth sense for what's going on. You know, are they working hard? Are they having a good day or a bad day? Are things getting done? Are deadlines getting missed? And all of a sudden, you're sat at home in your back bed bedroom and those people are miles away and the only relationship you have with them is mediated by a screen it's by slack or by zoom call you are understandably going to be full of panic and you know complete almost like sensory deprivation from those usual senses you use to manage that team and you know, without that culture shift that says do you know what i don't have to worry about whether they're at their desk i don't have to worry about um you know whether they're you know sat at the, their screens constantly all i have to worry about is making sure that the work i expect of them is parceled up really well so they can understand it and tackle it and then watching what comes back and making sure that it meets expectations and that's so so hard to do particularly in the middle of a crisis where everybody's thought patterns sleep patterns have been utterly disrupted when you've got kids running around your feet and disrupting you all the time you know that's a, it's a difficult transition to make now and as a result i think we're seeing loads more you know people on endless zoom calls the number of people told me they're on back-to-back zoom calls for a full day you know that's just brain sapping soul destroying stuff and utterly unproductive yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that when I said it's easy, I I was being hypocritical there because it's not. I'm I'm doing very much back to back Zoom meetings and also things like bank holidays. People are going, oh well, what's a bank holiday when every day is a Sunday? And you know, but it's not. It's like every day is a Monday at the moment. Everyone's emailing all the time. Yeah, and and, and that's and it, it's something that happens to you when you're self-employed as well. You start to forget about weekends and bank holidays. And and yeah, do you know what? Yeah, tomorrow I'm probably going to do my usual, which is get up at stupid o'clock and do a bit of work because I've got some things to finish off. And yeah, I'm I'm fine in the mornings. I'm rubbish in the afternoons. But I am going to try and enforce it as a bit of a bank holiday. We're going to get in the back garden. We're going to yeah open up a bottle of wine, have a barbecue, play some table tennis. You know, not try not to try and make it a different day. You know, mainly just by the wine at lunchtime. But you know, than than <laughs> than, than any standard day. I can't believe working from home, you're not doing wine at lunchtime every day. Come on, Tom, <laughs> step it up. Um, <laughs> Thanks doing Joe Wicks the next morning much harder. <laughs> oh my goodness, I bet. I bet it does. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we'll be back with Tom in a minute, but first... If you listen to the Prime Minister's speech on Sunday, you might still be worried about whether you should or shouldn't go to work, or if you can, but only if you work in a park, and if you walk there two metres away from your dad while he rides a bike or something. So I thought it'd be helpful to break down exactly what the very boring 60-page document says about what can now happen. But as I do, bear in mind that none of the government's scientific advisers were asked to sign off on this. It's not at all like any other country is doing, and in fact all other countries waited until infection rates were much lower before even starting to remove a lockdown, 
And none of this applies to Wales, Scotland or Northern Ireland where things are staying the same. And if you're all smart, all of you will gang up post-pandemic to take out the last five English people left and claim the country as your own. So, with all those caveats and the high chance that by the end of the week everyone in England will have COVID-19 and will all have to sit individually in cupboards for three months, here is supposedly what will be happening. Step one kicks in on Wednesday, even though the Prime Minister said Monday initially in his speech where no one was sure what he was going on about. So, if you can work from home, you're meant to, but if you can't and you work in construction, manufacturing, logistics, distribution, science labs or food productions, you should travel to work, because nothing makes food sound tasty like added cough covids. If you have symptoms, you should still isolate, and there are meant to be safety guidelines as to how all these industries will socially distance, but they probably won't arrive until everyone's back at work, because shoot your germs everywhere now, ask questions later, and let's face it, it doesn't matter as the people that work in those jobs don't earn that much, so they should just be pit against each other in a battle of immune systems, and one lucky one will win the Hunger Games and be allowed to live in the capital. No way, sorry, that's a to film. If you feel unsafe about working and you don't think you should be returning to work, your best bet right now is to join your union if you haven't already and then contact them. A lot of unions are very publicly advising their members not to return to work right now so they can advise on what to do. You shouldn't travel to work on public transport. Instead, everyone's being encouraged to drive, cycle, walk or, I don't know, use one of those twatish electrical scooters that makes it look like you are heavily neglected as a child. The government are apparently going to boost funding to councils to widen pavements, make pop-up cycle lanes and close some roads to traffic, which will annoy all the people who've decided to work quite a lot. But by boosting funding to councils, they probably mean giving them the money they already have, and so by having a little pop-up cycle lane, that probably means a whole load of people will lose their carers, and homeless people will have to sleep in a tree. All international arrivals by plane will be quarantined for 14 days, unless they're from France, Ireland, or the government just decides it's all a bit too difficult. The exemptions are due to special relationships with those countries, which means they all want them to die with us. Obviously, you can't work if you can't get to work, or if you're parenting, so councils and schools are meant to be encouraging more vulnerable children and kids of key workers to go back to class. And paid childcare is allowed if the nannies and childminders meet the public health principles that absolutely no one will check up on, because how could they? And look, there's every chance she's taking the sprogs for tours around a care home because she knows you have asthma and hates that you insist on a zero-hours contract. I mean, our daughter's childminder, uh, who is brilliant, looks after two other kids who will already have been with their families, and then she has three kids of her own and her partner, and already that means if we sent our daughter back to her, that's a whole spider web of germ-spreading possibility. And it seems odd that you can do that when you can't see family who could also look after your kids, but hey-ho, get back to work, peons, the banks be sad. Face masks are the big new thing that will be required in places where social distancing isn't possible, such as transport shops work or where you see someone who makes you scowl but you don't want them to notice. It was only a few weeks back during press briefings that we were told masks helped spread the virus, then that they didn't do anything at all, then that they might do something but no one was really sure, and then it would be unfair for everyone to get one when the NHS doesn't have enough PPE and that's obviously your fault if you've got a mask, and now it's, oh yeah, just make one out of your t-shirt, here's a guide. You won't need a t-shirt anymore, you see, because your hair will be so long it will cover your torso. People are being urged not to use surgical masks as they'll be reserved for NHS. Children under two shouldn't use them, and let's face it, it would be impossible trying to make them. And people with breathing difficulties are also exempt, even if they may get worse breathing difficulties if they catch coronavirus. It's probably just best to stay indoors, isn't it? You can now meet one person who's not from your immediate household if you meet them outdoors and at a distance, which means you can say horrible things to them and they can't get close enough to hit you. Now is the perfect time to get rid of a toxic friendship. You can exercise as much as you like outdoors as long as it isn't in a sport that requires you touching anyone or licking anyone, but basketball is allowed even though it involves dribbling. You can also drive to go somewhere to exercise, but as these rules are only for England, it's now an offence to travel into Wales or Scotland, which I feel would gain you absolutely no cred in prison for. What are you in for? I murdered 15 people. You? I crossed the Severn Bridge because I fancied some Welsh cakes. Oh, and if you're vulnerable, um, sort of over 70, have a chronic condition or are pregnant, basically you're still advised to stay at home and avoid face-to-face contact with anyone. Which makes sense, and sounds lonely as, especially when you know someone out there is hanging out with work pals and playing basketball in the park. So alongside these policies, higher fines will be imposed on anyone who's caught breaching them, even though no one really understands them. And the government want Parliament to set a national example and move towards more physical proceedings in the House of Commons, even though if you were to base your work ethics on Boris Johnson's, you'd barely have turned up even before furloughing. 
So that's step one, followed by step two from June the 1st, if it's doable. And it'll involve some schools going back, though the National Education Union isn't happy about the idea and neither are a lot of parents, unless they really, really want their kids to become epidemiologists. Non-essential retail will hopefully open then too, but not hospitality stuff and definitely not barbers or hairdressers. So you can go shopping for some new trousers that will match your Yeti styles. Some behind closed doors sports will be able to return, which I assume means illegal poker games and cockfighting or something. And it's after June the 1st that they're suggesting you might be able to have more contact with friends and family, looking specifically at New Zealand's bubble model, which Belgium are currently trying, where one household can meet with another household. And that's your bubble, that is. Which, again, one rule for us. Meanwhile, all MPs have their Westminster bubble, which has bloody loads of people in it. Admittedly, none of them that I'd want in my bubble. Then step three would be from July the 4th at the earliest and might include the reopening of pubs, cinemas, places of worship and hairdressers, but probably no venues or work that relies on people crowding into it. Unless it's the train that you have to get to work on, even though you shouldn't because you have to work unless you can't. So that's what's been laid down and that may all change if the peak hasn't curved and everyone's Vera Linning on VE Day kicks everything back off again. Countries all around Europe are starting to lift their lockdowns gradually, but they had a peak earlier than us, and mostly governments who did lockdown properly, loads of testing, had PPE for health workers and a much lower death toll. South Korea, which basically nailed corona in its face, has had to return to a sort of lockdown, closing down pubs and clubs after a second outbreak, where they were able to track down the person who spread it, but still shut things down because they take it seriously. David Hunter, a professor of epidemiology and medicine at Oxford, is one of a number of experts who've openly said that without the proper testing, tracing and isolating of risks, any sort of lockdown lift and return to work is just going to cause the virus to spread, meaning we'll have to return to a full lockdown all over again. Weirdly, to quote Dominic Raab, best to use common sense. Common sense that says, hey, we have the highest death toll in Europe, Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland aren't lifting restrictions, maybe I shouldn't go out and start rubbing myself on strangers till at least June. But hey, it's up to you, isn't it? Because it's definitely not the government's fault if you spread this thing. It's your fault for not entirely understanding the very, very vague and conflicting messages we're being given. I'm starting to wonder if this is all just Johnson's way of ensuring he gets a few more months off before having to return to Parliament again. And now, back to Tom. I, uh... I was going to, one thing we haven't touched on is obviously, uh, you know, and your book's about future-proofing your business, but, you know, society's going to have to change quite a, a bit with these new work structures. Obviously, we're very sadly seeing some work disappearing, um, and the government has been talking this week about cutting the furloughing so it might not be going ahead. You know, are we? do you, do you feel like maybe we're going to have to, are we going to have to move towards universal basic income? That's something like the government keep avoiding. <laughs> but we're going to have to see some sort of change, aren't we, in... in in the way we work, uh, the way society works, uh, undoubtedly, and you know when it comes and how it comes is is a big question. You know, one of the big challenges of futurism is not predicting what's going to happen; it's predicting when it's going to happen. When when is always much more difficult because there's such an enormous human dimension in it. But the what is quite clear. You know, we're changing to this world where more and more people are working freelance. You know, we're taking a different attitude to work now, and we want it to be about a quality of life as well as just a basic, you know, delivering you know food on the table. Uh, and for all those reasons, we've got to start thinking differently about how we structure society about how we structure benefits you know i'm a bit of a universal basic income skeptic not okay. because i don't i don't like the idea i mean i i think it's you know it's a really it's a really sound idea in principle but once you start to get into the practice of it it gets really complicated i mean i did some you know back of envelope maths a few years ago that said to give everybody in the uk something like the level of the state pension which thinks about eight thousand pounds a year that's about half a trillion pounds a year um, which is two thirds of the entire national budget, uh, and to get anything like a living wage is you know is like twice that. Um, and so you know obviously you tax onto that back, and there's lots of things. But you know, people often talk about the savings by uh, made by doing a universal income, not means tested, rather than all the complexity we have now. And the result of that is you don't actually save an awful lot of money, and you deprive a lot of people who, for good reasons, need greater benefits. You know of the the their important increased benefits so yeah, i think the, the principle's great there's a lot of thinking to do we've clearly got to make some changes and i think there's some changes we could make which are which are actually easier to make and one of them is around education you know we're in this if if 
we're in this world now where lots of jobs are being disrupted, whether it is by automation or by industries changing or by global competition. You know, for all the wall building and Brexiting, we're still in a global economy. Um, you know, some places are going to be able to do stuff cheaper than we can, and some jobs are going to be displaced as a result. And so what do we do about that? We've got to find a way to support people while they're not employed and give them the opportunity and, frankly, the funding to um, get a, you know, re-educate into new jobs and new skills. And, you know, that for me, even before sort of, I think, a universe basic income is a great starting point for a conversation we could perhaps get really practical about how we fund education for people to, for lifelong learning a little bit more easily yeah i, I read somewhere uh, recently um i was going to say somewhere it's, it's somewhere on my twitter feed it might be rubbish um but, but how about actually now is like a really good time for example to become more uh you know to just push for more environmentally friendly things because we're already not doing a lot of the things that are causing pollution now is a good time to say right from now on we'll move forward with more with more green uh, kind of policies yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a bit like that that sort of structural change, that cultural change problem with work, because actually even now with all of the, the drastic drop in the economy, you know, people driving a lot less, we're not even close to the cuts we need to make in order to offset uh, or to avoid the sort of worst impacts of climate change. We have to go well beyond where we are today. And the only way we do that is really big scale structural change that has to be made in a positive sense. It has to be a decision that we all make um, or I ideally with leadership from government rather than something we do as a sort of panic reaction to a crisis or an accidental reaction to a crisis. Now's a great time to be thinking about it and talking about it and understanding what it means when the air is cleaner and actually you know, doing these things isn't just saving two generations down the line, it's actually helping all of us. But we have to go, we have to do this in a really positive fashion and we have to probably invest an awful lot of money in doing that which frankly given that the economy is going to need to kickstart all of this maybe now is the time to be saying right let's put some big money against making those dramatic shifts that we need to make in order to avoid the, the most uh dramatic effects of climate change i, I really hope so I, I i i need to be as optimistic as you about that <laughs> i really hope so um i i slightly off of off track but i i just because i've noticed that you've been posting about it but um you know the the government announced the track and trace app that was going on uh, or they're going to be trialing in the Isle of Wight and and you have been posting some concerns about it or at least other people's concerns are you are you worried about it do you think we should be wary about using it in terms of sort of data and, and privacy issues what are your issues with it I mean, I think there's all sorts of issues from a from a but the technological and a human perspective. Yeah, we chose the uh, we made the odd decision to not use the uh, on the face of it very secure, very privacy conscious technology being built by Apple and Google, and go it alone with an architecture for the app that is distinctly the opposite that collects all of our personal data, albeit anonymized in a giant central government database. And you know, there's a large part of the population for whom that is going set enormous bells ringing. You know, anybody who knows about security and the anonymization of data knows that it can usually be reverse engineered and you can de-anonymize the data. Anybody who knows about government IT knows that they don't always make the best job of building stuff. Um, and anybody you know, who has concerns about privacy, and I, you know, I did a phone-in in Northern Ireland about this, where you understandably had an awful lot of people saying, no, I am not giving the British government lots of data about who I talk to. Um, so yeah, for all those reasons, it seems to have been pretty badly handled um i understand the pressures they were under trying to get a solution out quickly um, but it feels to me like it could have been done an awful lot better you know in terms of whether people should use the app and should they be concerned yeah i kind of lean towards doing it um i'll at least you know put the effort in um you know and and but it's even with the apple climbing down not climbing down but offering to help out the nhs of their screw up um over the last couple of days in terms of allowing the app to work in the way that the nhs hoped it would which actually it wouldn't have done without some help from apple and google um i'm i still don't think it's brilliant but i you know will i install it <sighs> grudgingly probably but i know <laughs> lots of people in the uh, in this in the security world in the it world who won't go near it that's fascinating. I mean, it's, it's sort of, when you put it like that, that kind of the idea that it basically goes, who are you talking to? Who are you seeing? Where are you going? That is quite terrifying. There's something a little bit uh, sort of Stasi about that, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, you know, there, there's all the assurances that it's only going to be used for this purpose. And that, you know, but the, 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 the government has history in terms of mission creep for this stuff. It has history in terms of both primary legislation and behaviour that says it's quite interested in finding out what who we speak to, what we do. Uh, and it's 
it's a li- not exactly, um, shall we say, uh, world leading when it comes to protecting our privacy. So people, you know, rightly have serious concerns. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of reminded of the uh, the Conservative Conference app that uh, allowed anyone <laughs> to find anyone else's phone numbers that used it. <laughs> yeah, and, you uh, know, yeah. Matt Hancock app. I mean, there's yeah. there's, there's there's so many examples, and and, and and don't be wrong, they're not alone. You know, Zoom's had its issues with with privacy and everything else, and you know, these things are hard to do. But when you know two of the world's leading companies are there saying, "Look, we're starting from grounds. We're we're starting from scratch." We're going to build something that's privacy conscious and secure. Here's a great architecture. We'll have it ready in a couple of weeks to then sit down and go, nope. Do you know what? We're going to, we can do this. Come on. Yeah. But with a bit of blitz spirit, we can throw something together. And I'm being really mean to NHSX now, but you know, it's, it seems like a very odd decision. Yeah, I, I think whenever anyone says let's throw this together and it's something quite so, you know, I, I never <laughs> trust anyone that doesn't spend time on uh such big decisions but there you go maybe that's just me um i well i've got two more questions for you but but one i suppose very important one really we should sort of almost wrap up on is is uh what i mean you're you're so one it's it's so lovely talking to you tom i have to say it's really it's really cheery in this sort of lockdown (laughs) situation to hear someone that's genuinely got you know positivity and, and optimism about what could happen is, is very nice um i just wonder what one thing maybe you could recommend that all the listeners could do to I suppose protect ourselves or maybe just sort of ready ourselves for whatever happens next uh when 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 this is whenever this is overcome 20 years 30, 400 years whenever we're done um what what would be your say piece of advice that you, that you give to people do you know i i, I i'm going to sound like one of these hideous self-help gurus here who've got themselves in a lot of trouble on Twitter. <laughs> There was, that, there was that guy, wasn't there, who said, if you haven't learned something new or started new, some, some new side hustle you know, while this has been going on, then you know, you're not even trying. That's obviously nonsense. But I'm a huge advocate for hobbies. I think you know, lots of us get into our careers. We might be doing the same thing 10 years, 20 years. And we're sort of at the top of our game. You know, we think we know what we're doing. Um, and we lose a bit of humility and we let our learning muscles atrophy a little bit. And I think if you're going to do anything, whether it's in lockdown or even better post-lockdown, when maybe things are a little bit back to normal, go and get a new hobby and do it for three reasons. Do it because it actually makes you really humble so about three years ago i learned to roller skate with my kids and nothing humbles you more than being absolutely skinned by a seven-year-old on the roller rink while you're flat on your ass you are a brave um, man you are a brave man i couldn't do that at all a, a brave man with you know one cracked rib and an elbow the size of a foot but yeah yeah i got there in the end but the, the, the other thing it does is it 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 jump starts these skills and you know one of them is this skill of learning you know it forces you to go back to basics and remember how you learned by trying things out and testing and it forces you to talk to a new group of people as well it puts you in contact with a completely different audience and it hones those communication skills and again i think just always talking to a new group of people um you know with different views from yours different background to yours is an incredibly positive thing to do so yeah go and get a new hobby whether you're doing it now and you're starting online with one of these online courses or just picking up your grand's knitting needles um or whether you go out and do it you know afterwards and go and learn to roller skate like i did i think it's it's, it's just really healthy that's, that's that's very good advice i think uh yeah i'm i'm what i've done is i've taken from that get a new hobby don't do roller skating <laughs> 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 um brilliant well thank you tom this has been fantastic talking to you and, and i just uh the last question which is something i ask every guest we have on this show uh just for the view to maybe sort of expand learning or resources um which is apart from yourself and and your books especially your new book um who else should listeners check out and read up on for i suppose uh sort of futurist things or, or anything really who, who are the trusted people that, that you read and, and sites that you visit Oh, wow. What do I read? Um, do you know, it's really hard to worry because I, I jump from industry to industry. So one week I might be looking at supermarkets and literally three days later, I'll be looking at super yachts. So I'm always reading really narrow industry specific publications or, you know, going to speak to sort of the academics about what research fields they're doing. But I will recommend one of my uh, favorite books from last year uh, by a friend of mine um, is a book called How to Have a Happy Hustle um, by Beck Evans. Uh, and uh, it, it, it 
won an award early this year and it's a really great practical book about if you are thinking about working differently if you are thinking about starting something up on your own it's got all that sort of sensible practical advice and reassurance about how to do it and i think if you are you know lots of people are thinking about working differently in the future maybe juggling the careers having a bit of a portfolio um it's a great place to start with that Thanks so much to Tom for that. Um, you can find Tom on Twitter at Book of the Future and his website is Tom Cheese, right? That's W-R-I-G-H-T dot com, which has links to his podcast, The Futurist, and of course, his latest book that we mentioned, Future Proof Your Business, that you can get in all good online bookshops or ones that maybe will lob a book at you from a distance, possibly by catapult. Do those exist? I would definitely shop at those right now. And even when the pandemic finishes, though, I would never get a hardback copy of anything. Anyway, uh, definitely do check out Tom's book. Um, also, Tom often says, not in this interview, but in other interviews, um, that he was heavily influenced in his childhood by the 1979 Osborne Book of the Future, which I absolutely loved as a kid. Um, and you can read it online for free. So I have popped a link to that in the podcast blurb because it's just a joyous bit of overtly optimistic escapism. Um, of course, should you have anyone you think I should interview or subjects that right now you'd like me to find someone to talk about, please drop me a line at Bro on Twitter, the Partly Political Broadcast Facebook group, the contact page at partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Or why not follow in the footsteps of the Prime Minister and get a finer, more complicated, coded way of telling me the suggestion and I'll completely misunderstand it and interview your arch nemesis uh, who will entirely tell me about all the ways they want to destroy you and you just feel very sad. As always, it's probably just best to email, isn't it? And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Um, as always, you've made it to the end of the show. I mean, I'm guessing you have, unless you listen to these podcasts backwards. In which case, hello and welcome. Maybe that is the best way to do it, so things become happier? No, I'm not sure. Um, anyway, it's time for the end of the show, Hot Paul Goss Fact. And this week, as Stay Alert ranks up there with one of the many truly shit political slogans, I thought you might like to know what the very worst one of all time was. No, no, it's not the Remain campaign's chillin', meetin', tourin', voting, which sounds like an AI was trying its best to be the world's most embarrassing dad. Nor is it the Labour Party's 1987 one of Britain will win with Labour, uh, misunderstanding that we're a nation of losers and no one wants that or we'll have nothing left to complain about. And no, it's not Joe Swinson's fuck squirrels. Um, It's actually a slogan that never made it to campaign stage, as it was deemed a little bit strange at the time, but looking back, it's kind of a shame that it never made it. Uh, The Conservative Party's original slogan for the 20th 10 election was vote for me so I can prove to my mum that I'm a big boy and I haven't even wet the bed in three days now so uh, which was deemed not a vote winner so instead David Cameron had to go for vote for change yeah some hot bolgos facts for you right there all true as well uh uh-huh, absolutely true If you like them kinds of exclusive facts or they make you so angry you want to do housework you've been neglecting, then why not recommend this show to others who might like it? Give us a review on your podcast apps and throw me some moolah to the Kofi or Patreon sites too. Yeah, thanks very much. And that's Acast, The Last Skeptic, Cat Day and Mushy Bees. And this will be back next week when the government change their message to just you gotta be and then get upset when people question if why, when you gotta stay together, people still aren't allowed to see family members. Bye. This week's show is sponsored by Stay Alert. Stay alert by rubbing chilies in your eyes and having someone move all the chairs in your home so you don't know where you can safely sit down. Stay alert by shouting, watch out, every time you walk through a door. Stay alert by wearing clean pants at all times. Stay alert by never sleeping again. Never sleep. You can never sleep or the virus will win. Stay alert. Stay alert. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.